Get $10 off your next $50 or more purchase when you sign up for text alerts from Academy Sports and Outdoors. Text the word FISHING to 22369. Once again, that's FISHING to 22369. Offer expires 731 of 2022, and message and data rates may apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Summer Redfish on High Tide, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Mason Porter of Grand Slam Fishing Charters out of the Carolina Beach area. We're going to be talking about bait selection, rigs, locations, how to approach, and techniques. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now the popular saltwater podcast series. And it is in this saltwater podcast series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined every week by my partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, we're back in the podcast seat. Dude, we are back in the podcast seat, Gary. We're back in the studio. So we just set up another studio, or I set up a studio for my stuff. And, and now we're here, man. I can see you in person across, in person. across the uh, in front of the other camera. It looks like we're in two totally different spaces, but we're actually in the same spot if you're watching it. Uh, but yeah, man, always good to talk fishing. Always good to have people on here to inspire um, our listeners and our viewers. Man, I actually met uh, someone the other day at a local tackle shop, and so he was showing me all these fish he caught. And he's like, "Dude, I listen to your podcast and all this." So that was really cool. I mean, that doesn't happen often, uh, but it's definitely cool that we were able to connect and and see that I'm, we're making a difference, Gary. I'm guessing he showed you fish photos and not actual fish. Yeah, fish. That's what I should have said. Fish photos. Um, and I told him to send them in to you. I said, here's Gary's personal number. Text him. <laughs> make sure that you, uh, you know, send this to the right guy. So you should be getting those anytime. And if Sweet. You, I and love And if you guys want, photo. I will put Gary's number on the screen, and you all can text him and tell him your fish stories and your fish photos. So it'll be good. Oh, I'd never get tired of hearing about a, a fish story. Never. And really, he likes the ones. You, I mean, I know you like the ones that the, the big ones that got off. Like you love those stories. So. I just like long stories with lots of details. That's what I like. <laughs> oh man well too much fun gary well i definitely want to a uh, shout out to our sponsors so first of all we'll jump over to marine warehouse center real quick the marine warehouse we have everything we have new boats we have parts we have accessories new trailers we have a complete service department with highly trained technicians anything you need to get out on the water we have it. at marine warehouse center as we've grown over the last few years now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs what I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. There you go, Gary. That's the crew right there, man. They are. That's the crew. Man, they recently fished guys. the Spanish Mackerel Open. They fish all the trail events. As I say, man, they are part of the fishing community not just trying to sell or serve the fishing community, which they are. They are yeah. trying to sell and serve to the fishing community. But they are absolutely part of it, too, man. And I think that's part of why the relationship works so well. Yeah, 100%. Emmett, Terrell, although uh, Terrell and I had a falling out, man. The guy oh. just finally was texting me at the wrong times, trying yeah. to tell me a joke. So I yeah. blocked him, man. I blocked his cell number. You I blocked it? I have no jokes. Ah. No more fish jokes from well. Terrell. You'll have to go to Marine Warehouse Center in person. 
Well, that stinks, Gary. Well, I do have some news about Emmett. However, I'm going to put everyone on the edge of their chair. I'm going to talk about our other sponsor for this episode, Bland Landscaping, really quickly before we uh, jump into it. But want to want to shout out Bland Landscaping Company. Uh, amazing company. They are actively, obviously, looking for, for work, looking for people in the North Carolina area to hire them, to bring them on. Uh, but they're also looking for staff, for employees, and they have all levels, Gary, of different opportunities there. Um, so really, really good opportunities as well. So go to their website, Land Landscaping, uh, or Bland Landscaping, rather. I can't talk there, but uh, and go check out all the opportunities across North Carolina. And who knows, maybe if you work for them, they'll hook you up with a cool hat like I got it's here. It's a cool so hat. I give, I'll dope. give you that. That, yeah. is a co- that is a dope hat. Yeah, man, I like it. They sent, me, they sent us a few, so um, I like them. I'm wearing them. I like them. Uh, but, man, to, to kind of circle back a little bit to, to Emmett, He's been off his rocker a little bit. You know, I know it's been a long few years, but, um, but you know, when he was like, I love this region, I'm like, you haven't been in this region because we've been uh, seeing pictures of him from different places. So, Gary, your job is to guess where in the world is Emmett. Where Stouffle. in the world, where in the world is, is he? Emmett. All right. I'm, I'm in. I'll guess. Do I guess I'll right now? You, I'll give you a couple of hints. Okay. So, yeah. so one, this is an event. So that is your first hint. And it is a an event that you probably did as a child on your parents' bed with other siblings. Or if you don't have siblings, think of people who do. And what event would they participate in? A pillow fight. You that is a great guess, Gary. That is a wonderful guess because that is what Emmett has been doing. <laughs> he has been at professional pillow fights at an undisclosed location. Uh, looks like some really nice southern people who match and lots of feathers there. So there's there's Emmett. He's having a great time. All right, uh, smiling <laughs> Emmett at a pillow fight. Good for him. I'm glad he's getting. He works hard. I'm glad he's getting some reprieve. Good for him. Yeah. So if you guys don't see Emmett around the shop, he's probably at a pillow fight this week. Uh, <laughs> I like how this is setting up. And please, so just- stop by and ask Emmett about pillow fighting. Is where we're going, right? And if you're real brave, take a pillow in and see how quick he is. <laughs> and film it and send it to us. <laughs> and it will make the podcast 100% <laughs> guaranteed. Oh, we probably just started. Uh, thinking why like, did we waste our time with Terrell's <laughs> dumb jokes this long? Holy cow. Emmett's the one doing all the action over there. Oh my! I, I'm, I'm excited to see where it will be next week, but enjoy right. your pillow fight, Terrell. Or, or Emmett, sorry. All right. Well, what I am going to make note of, as we've been doing in all our shows, is the Weekly Fishing Reports project that we're doing. That's the inshore weekly fishing reports delivered in audio and video format via fishermanspost.com. Just go to the website, look for member content, and you can sign up. There is a small fee, but again, you're getting weekly fishing reports where we talk to 11 local inshore guides from up and down the entire North Carolina coast. Talk to each one from anywhere from four to seven minutes. And, uh, you know, knowledge is power and you want to be in the know. So fishermanspost.com. Member content. How about that, Billy? How'd I do? Man, Gary, it was great, man. I think you rehearsed that maybe a couple times or No, I just won it. I just won. Well, that's pretty good. So and if you and that's only if you want to be like this person and catch all these fish. Here's Chris Franklin with a twenty two inch red drum that was hooked on a live mullet while fishing a rising tide near Bald Head Island. Uh. I'm hundred percent sure, I don't know this for a fact, but just going with the gut that he probably is a member of fishing reports gary that's how he got that we're gonna assume that for marketing purposes <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna assume that anyone that catches a fish has 
has done the weekly fishing report, so else you just yeah. couldn't do it. That you dude probably had no chance without fishing reports. No so. chance. You could tell by looking at him, <laughs> even though that photo is from last year, I think. <laughs> what are you giving me old photos with the egg, Gary? Maybe. What the I was in a rush. All right, all right. Billy's best takeaway. Be That's my hard turn because I want to bring Mason Porter Let's up. Let's go. So when I finish talking with Mason. I'm going to come back to you for Billy's best takeaway. But right now, it's my pleasure to introduce to the show Captain Mason Porter, Grand Slam Fishing Charters out of the Carolina Beach area. Thank you for making time for us, Mason. Happy to have you on the show. Yes, yes. Thank you all for having me. Pleasure to be here. I like the hat. I like that you're representing. I, you represent in the trails. I mean, uh, and now I finally get to talk fishing with you in, in depth and not just at a weigh-in when you tell me when you tell me everything but what I want to know about where you caught the fish and on what. So so here we go, though. Before we have that conversation, as is tradition, there's two questions. You tell me you're ready. I'll give you question number one. Ready. Question number one. Why should we, me, Billy, the audience, listen to anything you have to say about a redfish? Uh, I guess just, just time on the water. Um, that's That would be the number one thing. Um, I'm a local, a local guy, born and raised here, went to, went to a community college here. Um, so I've just spent a lot of time on the water, you know, anywhere from Riceville beach to Oak Island. And, um, you know, redfish has always been something I've targeted since, since pretty much day one. Um, I've, I've hit every sandbar there is from Riceville beach to Oak Island and I'm working on the oyster rocks <laughs> as All we right. speak. So, uh, um, just yeah, covered a lot of ground, um, fished a lot of a lot of water, and that uh, that helps. All right, well that works for question number one. Question number two, as tradition goes, is a non-fishing related question. I isolated Grand Slam in the Grand Slam fishing charters. I looked up Grand Slam on Urban Dictionary and decided we cannot use that as part of this bit. We cannot. But, uh, I mean, I'm subtly telling everyone to look up Grand Slam on Urban Dictionary is what I'm doing. But your question has to do with four of the more significant championships. I'll let you pick. Do you want this to be on tennis or on golf? Oh, man, definitely golf. What are the four major championships that make up the Grand Slam? In golf? In golf. Oh, Jeez. <laughs> you're a fisherman. You're not expected to know, but I'm asking anyway. In the PGA Tour? PGA Championship. I'll take that as one. The Ryder Cup? Nope, that's not considered a major. It is a huge event, but it's not considered a major. Uh, what about the Wells Fargo? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Masters. The PGA uh, Championship. The Augusta. Augusta. That's, that's Masters. Masters. U.S. Open. And then the open championship across the pond. You did great, yeah. man. You did yeah, fantastic. I, yeah, we, we don't care about golf. golf is not my uh, not my forte. I would have guessed that. I think that's part of the reason I went that angle. But let's put that down, man. Let's talk about fish. Let's get back to what we want to talk about. And I like your topics. I like starting out with bait selection. From what I understand, bait selection to you depends on time of year. So we're primarily focused on summer or early summer. So maybe start us there and then give us options when we're not talking early summer or summer. Yeah. So I guess summer, I consider summer like, uh, basically mid may 
you know, once that water temperature gets up into the mid seventies, um, we're fortunate around here to have a, you know, a good menhaden population in the river. And they seem to hang around from, from early May through the end of, end of June, they start getting big at the end of June. So as far as bait selection, um, you know, on high tide, I'm, I'm, uh, definitely cast netting menhaden, um, every morning. Um, it's a great oily bait. Can't beat it. There's no mullet around right now. So there's some small ones, but you know, not the, not the good ones you're looking for. Um, so yeah, bait, bait selection, definitely menhaden for the early, early summer. So what's the perfect size menhaden for you? Um, it, you know, it really just depends on the size of the fish. Um, you know, redfish are pretty aggressive. If, you know, if I feel like I'm on some lower slot fish, then I, I will try to, you know, the, the three to four inch pogies, um, and try to throw the smaller ones. You know, it's easier for them to eat the, eat the smaller ones. But, you know, if I'm in a tournament or, or fishing some, some upper over slot fish, then I'll, I'll throw, you know, anywhere from a four to six inch pogie. They have no problem, no problem eating that. Is there a time in the calendar where you prefer a bait over Menhaden? Yes. So, uh, seems like, yeah, about the end of June, you'll start to see, um, the Menhaden start to dwindle away. I, I'm not sure where they go, but they're harder to catch. And they seem when you do catch them, they're bigger, like King mackerel size bait size. Um, but the mullet typically show up early July. Um, and it seems like the redfish start to start to feed more on mullet than, than menhaden. I'm sure menhaden still works, you know, if you find the right size, but yeah, once July rolls around, I'm cast netting, you know, finger mullet in the four to six inch range and fishing in the, fishing them the exact same way that I fish the, the menhaden. All right. Well, let's go to rigs then and tell me how you're presenting this bait. Yeah. So, um, high tide, you know, I'm, I, I fish a popping cork almost 90% of the time, I would say. Um, I, I use a rig called the slip cork rig. It's a Billy Boy bobber. Um, it's got a, a bobber stopper on it at the top to, uh, so you can adjust the depth. You know, you can go from fishing foot and a half of water to three or four foot of water really quickly. Um, that's the advantage to that, to that rig. Um, other than the popping cork, the popping cork, obviously you can't adjust, but yeah, I fish a, uh, I fish a four out circle hook. Gama got to any, any brand is, is good. Just a sharp, a good sharp pointed hook. Um, and it's the, it's the Ricky Kellum special. I'm, I don't know if you know who Ricky Kellum is, but he, he uses it for trout a lot. Um, but instead of a treble hook on there or a small, um, kale hook. I use a, a, a circle hook for the drum. And what are you using for the leader? Uh, leader size, uh, usually 30 pound. Okay. Um, and is 20, it, do, you, do you believe that fluoro is important? Yes. Yeah, definitely fluorocarbon. I've never used anything other than, than fluorocarbon. Um, and I use a, about a half ounce, half ounce to three, eight ounce weight. Um, seems like you know, sometimes the mid there, even the mullet, they'll swim, you know, sometimes you're throwing a big enough bait that, that 
that half ounce or three eighths may not hold it down. So I may go up a little bit heavier um, than that, maybe two or three quarter, maybe. Um, but usually you're fishing shut, such shallow water that, you know, that, that three eighths quarter ounce to half ounces is all you need to keep that bait down enough. Man, and I'm even going to ask you a couple more details. So are you more of like a 2,500 or more of a 3,000? And then what size braid do you prefer? I mean, is casting distance important or having more substantial line important? Yeah. Um, I mean, the good line is definitely important. I throw the uh, usually 20, 20 to 30 pound Power Pro, Power Pro uh, Super Slick. I used to use the regular Power Pro, but you know, it gets a little tacky, um, until you really break it in. So the super slick, super smooth casting, you can get long distance, um, doesn't, t doesn't tend to, to knot up too bad on you. And, uh, yeah, 25 to 30 pound and, um, real size anywhere from 2,500 to, to 4,000. Um, I like to keep a few bigger 4,000s around just, you know, sometimes, you know, 28 inch redfish can, can pull some drag. So I, I like to be able to tighten down on them when I need to. And, uh, 4,000 can get that done, but you know, for catching smaller fish and it's fun to catch them on that, that light 2,500. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, or we're going to transition, I think into locations, but before we start talking about specific locations, I'm going to ask you about, um, the approach to this podcast, which is redfish on high tide. And, Again, that was your idea. I loved it. I love when captains get specific instead of trying to be too general. So what I wanted to ask is, do you prefer fishing for red drum on high tide? Does that give you opportunities that you look for? Or is it that people struggle to catch red drum on high tide and you thought maybe I can help people catch fish when they don't normally catch fish? What was your thought when you decided on red drum on high tide? Yes. Red drum, I mean, it's something I've been comfortable with for, for, I'd say probably six or eight years now. I feel like I've really kind of, kind of patterned them, especially in the summertime. Um, but, you know, you're going to have to ask me that question again. <laughs> no problem. That's all right. I forgot. What was it? Tell me again. It's like, do you... Are you so you prefer fishing at high tide? I mean, you basically answer the question. You prefer high tide, or at least you enjoy a certain amount of success on high tide, rather than you picked high tide because you thought people struggled and you thought you maybe might be able to help them out. You you prefer high tide fishing? Yeah, I um, I mean, if I can get a light wind um, with a high tide, especially early in the morning, then I, I feel good about my chance, especially you know in the summer months from May to from May to even, even mid October, I would say. Um, so yeah, it's just something I'm, I'm comfortable doing. Um, I wouldn't say I've mastered the technique of it, but, um, I know what, you know, what to look for, um, when, what not to fish and, uh, that, that can really increase your chances and give you a better chance of catching fish really. Man, that sounds like a great segue into what to look for, man. So for my audience, what should they be looking for if we're on a higher tide and they're fancy a red drum? Yeah, so, I mean, first thing you got to look at really is the weather. Um, we all know, you know, if you get a high tide with high winds, if it's blowing 20, 25, then, the, you know, it, it, it makes it tough on high tide. 
So you got to look at the wind. You know, if you if you if you have a heavier wind, I always try to keep the wind at my back. Um, that's something very important for multiple reasons. It's it's better you can get longer distance on your cast. Further, you know, you can stay further away from the fish, um, and your bait, you know, stays in the strike zone longer. You know, if you try to throw in, you know, onto a point or or a cove somewhere. With the wind blowing at your face, yeah, you might get it to the grass, but it's going to stay on the grass for maybe ten seconds, and then the you know the bait's going to push off, and uh, it's, you know it's not going to be where it needs to be. So, so what I what I look for for a high tide spot, um, I fish flats pretty much on high tide. That's that's my go-to. I fish anywhere from from a foot and a half to probably four four and a half feet of water. Um, I look, I look for coves, points, um, lots of oyster rocks. You know, if you can, if you can get out there at low tide, a lot of times you can't get onto these flats at, um, at dead low tide, but you can, you can still see where the oyster bars are, you know, on a, on a mid tide. So, you know, do a little bit of scouting on a flat, um, on a, on a lower portion of the tide. And then once, once that tide comes back in, those fish are going to push up onto those points, um, the back, back of those coves. And, um, and that's, you know, that's where I throw these popping corks. I try to, I try to keep the popping cork just off the bottom. You know, I like my bait swimming. I don't like it to be hung up in the oyster bar. I like to see my cork dancing around. Um, you know, if it's hung up then I'll pull it back in, shallow it up a little bit. So, um, yeah, just, just covering water. Um, Hitting points, you know, I I don't fish a spot too long, really. If I if I feel like I I'm in good position, I'm making good casts with good baits, you know, presenting my bait basically as good as I can. Then, you know, if I make if I make three or four drifts through it through an area, then I'm I'm moving on. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my my high tide strategy in a nutshell. <laughs> Okay, man. Well, I'm going to circle back. I'm going to ask some questions. Yeah. So the flats that you like to target on high tide, are many of them dry at low tide or just unnavigable at low tide? Yeah, they're they're uh, dry, close to being dry. Certain areas, you know, the back of the flats are dry. There's, you know, there may be a little bit of water in there, little, I wouldn't even call them channels, but just little canals that that hold some of the water that drains out but yeah there's there's um six inches you know maybe of water where i'm catching these fish out on high tide so okay and most of the bottoms of these flats just just muddy bottoms yeah yeah mostly mostly muddy bottoms um you know it's where I, you know, from the Carolina, the Carolina beach area doesn't seem to have really sandy. Everything seems to be muddy in that area. So, um, yeah, real muddy bottom oysters, oysters, um, shells. Um, yeah. Okay. And so you've already sort of talked about approach and talked a little bit about technique, but I'm going to back you up on that, man. So, so helping someone like me out who doesn't have the time on the water that you have, Walk me through your th thought process when you're pulling into a bay at high tide and, you know, there's water everywhere and, you know, there's some oyster rocks peppered throughout and there's points peppered throughout and coves. 
how do you approach how do you know where to start and then how do you start like wh- walk me through what you do when you pull into an area or put you know idle yeah. into an area you know trolling yeah, I mean, into an area you want to ke- you obviously want to keep your eyes open you know look on you know if you're seeing birds on the bank or any you know looking for fish busting but um as far as scattered oyster bars i I really don't, I mean, I, I will fish a scattered oyster bar, you know, that's kind of in the middle of a flat, but, um, I'm mostly going to get to the grass, you know, uh, you know, the points and coves and, uh, it's really just, uh, just wind, you know, depending on which way the wind's blowing, um, you know, that can move, that can move fish for sure. So I, you know, I'm going to pull into an area, um, that I know some moisture that has some moisture bars or pockets in it um set up away from it and fish it um so when you're targeting a point are you power pulled and locked or are you constantly drifting to on some level yeah so i i like to shut the shut the motor down early you know the last thing you want to do is is run up in a you know into a bay and, and spook the fish that you plan to catch um so i try to shut the motor down early and uh, put the troll motor down and just kind of ease ease up in there, and then once I once I get to the area, you know that I that we're gonna fish, um, then I put the power pole down. And try to be as you know as still as possible, and um, that's that's definitely very important. I, I don't like the troll motor running at all when when you're fishing that shallow. All right, and now talk to me a little bit more about wind because I like the concept about wind can affect the pattern of the fish. So. Are they more apt to be on a grass line that the wind's blowing on? Or are they more apt to be in the lee and the quiet of the wind, you know, where there isn't much happening? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really more the technique. I mean, you can throw, you know, find that protected cove where the wind's, you know, if the cove is protected, a lot of times the wind's going to be blowing in your face, you know. Um, so you, you can you can chunk a top water and do, do stuff like that in a protected cove. Um, but for the technique that I like to do with the, with the slip cork rig, um, I do, I do feel like the fish tend to hold on more on the windier banks. Um, don't know why. Um, but, and also I think the, really the main thing is you're, you're able to present your bait and keep it in the strike zone longer. I think that's the main, the main reason for why I keep the, the wind at my back when I'm fishing. So do I gather that with a slip cor- slip float rig or a popping cork rig, I'm not, and I'm on your boat, I'm not necessarily casting the cork so that it can have a long drift. I might be more casting the cork just so it'll stage up nicely in a general area you want it to stage up rather than constantly letting out line and letting it move and move and move. Yeah, uh, you know, we do a little bit of both. Um, you know, these flats, some have more, some points and coves have more current moving. Um, but, I, I mean, I do like it moving. Yeah, I don't like it to be like a, a dead high tide. Is It can be tough. Um, so, I like, you know, I like the first hour or two of the fall or the last hour or two of the rise when there's still a little bit of current moving. That seems to, seems to get them biting better. Um, but yeah, I mean, one thing I like to do, I can touch on with the, when it's really high tide, like 
this morning the tide got up it wasn't super high but it, the grass was flooded um you know and i there's just it, these fish could be anywhere you know they could be swimming all through this grass so you know i told my guys we just need to find a hard a hard grass bank basically um that's what christian <laughs> christian calls it but basically just a hard a hard uh, grass edge that you know it's thicker it's thicker grass than than this i guess the spread out grass so it kind of congregates them on that edge of the grass you know they preventing them from getting up in the grass basically and and we actually found found some fish that way this morning so that was cool so uh what was the question i was getting asked oh i know when you're setting your cork rig or setting the length of your leader on the popping cork i mean is the goal for it to be just off the bottom like as close to the bottom without touching without dragging is that the ideal yeah yeah that's definitely ideal um and you, you'll know it, you know, your cork will be, especially with that, with that rig, the slip cork rig, your cork will be laying flat typically if, um, if you're on the bottom. Um, so, you know, you shallow it up, you throw it back out there. I mean, if you got a, if you got a lively mullet or menhaden on there, he'll be swimming in circles. Um, and that's, that's what you want to see. You want to see an active bait, you know, a foot off the grass. And you know if that redfish is there, you got a good bait, then he's gonna he's gonna hop on it nine times out of ten. All right, foot off the grass as close to the bottom without dragging. Yep. And so this is just something I didn't even think to ask before, but it just came to mind. So are you pretty much exclusively throwing live bait, or is there a scenario where you chunk out cut bait on these float rigs? Um. I try to throw live bait when I can. I've I've thrown a little bit of cut bait, you know, certain times of year, but typically in the summertime I don't don't have too many issues getting live bait. So I'm I'm uh I'm chucking live bait. You know, if it's if it's windy, dirty water, um, which it you know, it can get that way down south a little bit, but then that then I may throw it, you know, cut up a pogey, you know, cut the head off, cut the tail, and uh just let it sit there um to try to attract some attention with scent but yeah usually usually live bait if i can get it all right so it seems to me and man you you correct me if you've got a different experience that it's easier to hook a mullet and keep a mullet frisky harder to hook a live pogey and keep a live pogey frisky what what do you do how do you hook your pogies yeah so i i go basically basically through their nose, they have those two holes, you know, in between their, their gills and their eyes. Um, I hook them right through there and you're going, you're going to throw some pokies off. That's just the, the nature of it. They're not, you know, not quite as tough as the, as the mullet, but, um, it's definitely the less you cast them, the less you reel them in, the, the livelier they're going to be. So, um, try to limit your casting and reeling in with the pokies. Um, and make sure you get a, a live well full of them because I mean they're gonna they're gonna fly off. Um, with casting, I just, you you try to try to prevent people from whipping whipping it. Um, try to do more of a more of a steady slower cast, um, and that goes back to wind. Usually, I got the wind at my back, so you do a kind of a rainbow cast and it gets up in the wind, and usually it'll carry carry into the strike zone. Um, and then if, if they fall short, you know if you 
cast comes up a little bit short, usually the wind or current will push you push you up on the bank. And um, and I know you asked about current. We will I will you know let a bait drift down down through a zone for sure. Um, but if it gets off the bank, if it gets off the bank eight or ten feet, then you know we're reeling in and, and restarting, trying to put it right back on that grass where those fish are feeding. So what, in your opinion, what's more important, trying to stay one to two feet off the grass or trying to stay as close to the bottom as possible? Um, I would say being being on the grass because, um, I mean, there's, we're fishing two, two foot of water. I mean, redfish will come up and smack a topwater plug. I've had, you know, I've had them where the, the menhaden is swimming on top of the water <laughs> um, and fish come up and hit it like a topwater plug just absolutely destroy it um so yeah i think i think being in the strike zone up on the grass is is more important than having your bait um down at the bottom those fish are gonna if they're there they're gonna find it okay and then i actually thought of another question while we're talking so the slip float rig clearly has an advantage because you can adjust it quickly for the water depth do you find that the popping cork provides an advantage at times because you're able to pop it do you see popping generating strikes or it's really just another float mechanism yeah um you know i don't know i don't know if the pot i guess the popping cork does draw some strikes um, i think it's more of like when you move the cork it kind of wakes the bait back up a little bit um a lot of times baits you know they can get hung in the the oysters or whatever, or just kind of get in a spot where they're happy. Um, so I just think moving, moving your cork every, every, you know, eight or 10 seconds, sometimes that, that wakes the bait back up and gets them back active. Um, you know, I do fish, I do still throw popping corks. Um, you know, you can throw a DOA on a popping cork or, um, I, one thing I don't like to do is throw the menhaden on the popping cork. It, it twists up really bad um just because the menhaden typically swim in circles <laughs> or some figure eights or whatever so you'll get your you'll get your popping cork back in your braid will be wrapped 25 times around the top of the the cork so um that's one advantage to the slip cork rig that I, I did want to mention is um it i don't know what it is the way the rig is but it you know it stays stays natural you know even when that that minnow is down there doing circles it's still line stays tight and uh you get way less tangles um better presentation all right man well we are we are coming to the end but i got a couple of just sort of standard questions i often ask when i'm talking to a guy so as far as early summer summer redfish on high tide What's the main piece of advice you would give someone watching, listening to this podcast to help them succeed? Main piece of advice, bait's important. Um, and, you know, if you want to catch quality fish, you got to find some live bait. So go, you know, you can find it in the, in the waterways, but if you go to the Cape Fear River, look for the pelicans diving. Um, they're not all, they move around a lot, um, but not typically too far. Um, I would find a good fresh bait and, you know, fish, fish a flat that, that, you know, is, doesn't have much water on it, low tide. And, um, 
tie you tie you a slip court rig on or pop a cork and uh just just fish some fish some oyster points um these fish are going you know they're going to sit near oysters they're going to be on top of oysters or near oysters um not saying they won't be on a bank but you're increasing your chances a lot better when you're fishing fishing structure and um yeah keep the wind at your back and don't be don't be afraid to try try new stuff um you'll be surprised how all right trying trying new stuff will will reward you so all right, I think I'm down to my final two questions. The first of those final two questions are anything else I didn't set you up to say, man? Any question I didn't ask, anything that came to mind after we moved off of a topic, anything else you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think we I think we got it. Bait selection, techniques, rigs. Um, yeah, I mean, this pattern, that that pattern will work will work through through October, November from now through the rest of the summer and, and even into November. So, um, no, I think, I think we nailed it on the head. Um, I'm okay. sure there's some other things out there, but <laughs> no, we did. We um, covered a lot of ground. I just like to ask that question just to make sure. And then yeah. my last question would be Mason, you know, other than summer redfish, you know, tell me a little bit more about grand slam. Like what else you're doing? What are you doing in the spring? What else are you doing in the summer and what are you doing in the fall? Yeah, so it's springtime was uh, we had a pretty good spring this year. We targeted a lot of black drum, um, a lot of quality size black drum, and the you know the three to three to eight pound range, very fun fish to catch in the spring. A lot of times when you find them, they're grouped up. Um, you still got redfish around in the spring, trout. Um, you know, flounder fishing is unfortunate right now, but there's you know you can still catch them. Just got to release them until September. Um, so usually summertime for me is, is red drum, you know, some black drum scattered around, maybe some early morning trout and, uh, flounder trying to work on my sheep's head fishing. It's, that's a tough, tough gig. Um, but trying to work on that cause that's a, that's a quality fish to target in the summertime. Um, and then as we get into fall, I love trout fishing, um, October, November, December, great time for trout black drum around red drummer schooling up so um yeah it's it's a year-round year-round deal for me well captain mason porter grand slam fishing charters appreciate you spending some time with us and talking to us about early summer red drum on higher tides man it's been a good talk yeah thank you hopefully it uh hopefully it'll help somebody go out there and catch a catch a few fish i i think it will man you have a good summer and we'll check in with you later all right take it easy gary Bye, Mason. See ya. Billy. All right. Gary, what a good show, man. What a good show. Good. It's bit, It's fun being in the studio again. It is. Just kind of hanging out, you know, checking out, seeing what you guys are talking about, all that fun stuff. So, um, anyway, I'm nerding out a little bit over here. I'm not going to lie. Right. I'm not going to lie. Anyway. Nerd out on the AC while you're over there. No, nah, the AC's broken, bro. <laughs> this is one thing I learned from Puerto Rico. You don't need AC, all right? <laughs> oh, man. Good episode, man. Appreciate Mason coming on. And, um... Yeah, I guess my best takeaway, I'll tell you my best takeaway or my best encouragement because I've fished with a, a slip float rig before and those right. things produce, man. They are they are surprisingly producers of fish. And the first time I ever fished with one, I was like, holy smokes, what am I 
casting and reeling and casting and reeling when I should just throw this thing out there and let the current, you know, rip it and then uh, and watch that thing. It's like old school bobber fishing, you it know. Is. So yeah, man, that uh, that is a rig that does produce, man. And I've I will second that and take that away. It's a good reminder for me to go. Oh yeah, I better go make sure I got one of those for the for when I get out. And yeah, do man. Some a lot of our captains use them, man. They're effective. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're great, man, and they're fun too. They're fun to like to watch float down the waterway and then disappear. And you're like, mm-hmm. it's on, fish on, let's go. So it's a it's a pretty cool feeling. It makes you that nostalgia from being five again. I think that absolutely counts as a Billy's best yeah. takeaway. I'll That's take that. a good that. one. Yeah, so run run to your local tackle shop and, and, and get one. So, uh, But, yeah, man, want to throw a thank you back to our sponsors again, Marine Warehouse Center for sponsoring the show, Bland Landscaping Company for sponsoring the episode, and Academy Sports for sponsoring the episode as well. Really appreciate all three of those sponsors. And uh, I'll put this out there. If you want to be a sponsor of the show, if you have a, a business that would fit the fishing industry, uh, reach out to me. It's Billy at fishermanspost.com and we will uh, we'll see what we can come up with. So I know Marine Warehouse and Bland and Academies had a lot of fun, and we have a lot of fun with them. Uh, you know, I mean, when 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 Emmett's not pillow fighting, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Adorable, adorable. And, Emmett's adorable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'll be somewhere crazy next week. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where my Photoshop, I mean, my uh, my Photoshop skills take him. <laughs> I'm in. I'm, I'm already excited. <laughs> well, Gary, appreciate it, man, and we'll catch you in the next one. Fisherman.